before we before I left for Dublin, we we decided that power forward was was a really weak position. We're like, yeah, we've got like thirty three spots left, and we're probably gonna use them all for centers. There might be like thirteen power forwards. My list of power forwards just kept growing. It does. It just keeps on going. I have twenty seven. Dear God, that that's just we spend too much time on power forwards. There's never too much time. It's the most fun position. I want to double check on two things, though. For our shooting guards list and small forwards list. Now, the point guards list, I think, is perfect. I think for the shooting guards list, if we're going going the direction, because I want to keep it consistent, I think we should put Tracy McGrady above Hal Greer. Interesting. How do you feel about it? Because I I feel like you pushed for that at the same time when we did it. You're absolutely going to hate me on this. I also wanted to move Tracy McGrady. Okay. I wanted to lower him behind Sam Jones. Wow. Just, just, okay. Just one spot back. How come? What changed? He didn't. He take those all the all the no names to the playoffs. We will. We'll get into this when we get to the two hours later into this podcast when we start discussing Tommy Heinsohn and Howell Bailey. Mm-hmm. But I decided I was going to go through and I was going to rank the importance of different Celtics throughout the Bill Russell era. And I did that. I lined up all of the Celtics. I was like, all right, who's number one? Who's number two? Who's number three? And like, is there some gaps? Are there like years where like, hey, it's Russell and then like four other guys and you can rank them two through five, but it's Russell and four others. Or is it like, hey, it's Russell and Sam Jones and three others. And like, at what point are them like the others? Uh, And Sam Jones actually ended up being the second most important for. He's, He's crucial. Yeah. So what he is there for for ten titles. Yeah. And I have him as the second most important person for five of those titles. Yep. And that's totally true. He is unbelievable in the playoffs with his scoring. And and that's something Russell couldn't carry and something Sam Jones could. And still Sam Jones is one of the best defensive players. That just That's true. Yeah. Still needs to be said. You wanna do it? Do you wanna move him? I don't know. I, I think if the fact that we both walked away from this and we came back and we want to move him in, <laughs> in opposite directions, direction. I think that means okay. we have the right spot for Tracy McGrady. Sounds perfect. I also want to tell you, because I texted you that I have decided that Tim Duncan is not a power forward. I left mm-hmm. him in my power forward rankings. Okay. Okay. We can we can go with that. Is he in your 27 or do you have 27 other guys other than Tim Duncan? I have 27 others. I moved Duncan to my centers list. Okay. I think we should go through with that. You made the case really quickly right. before we move on to power forwards. What, what sucks is I, I came to you saying, hey, we should bring Tracy McGrady up. And you say we should bring him down. And I was going to text you. I think we should move James Worthy above Marcus Johnson. And then like 30 minutes later, you texted me saying you think we should lower James Worthy. So I think we'll keep him where he is. I, well, I really thought he's just just one spot up. Just the one. Just because he, you know, he is the leading scorer on title teams. And, and whether it's all Magic Johnson is another conversation. But, but still. What are we drinking today, Nate? What's on the menu? This is Jack Daniels with some blackberry brandy and uh, a little bit of lemon juice. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I've, I've had to upgrade from beer to whiskey. Not strong enough. I should start drinking during our pods. You should. I should. <laughs> should I go grab a beer? Yeah. Love okay. it. All right. I'll be right back. I'll come back with a beer. All right. This is all we had. It's an 805. Very good. Standard. I had an IPA, but I'm saving it. It's like a seasonal pumpkin. Well, I think it's like a habanero pumpkin. 
IPA from a, I forget. I so said it's the one company that starts with an E. I don't know if I even know how to pronounce it. Like Eliasin or Siasin or what are those? Yeah, guys? I, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. All right. Ooh, All right. Why? Well, Chaim. All right. So I, I will, I'll make the case for the podcast of why I moved Tim Duncan from power forward to center. Uh, and, and part of it is that is where he actually played the most time. But the other part of it is philosophically power forward is a flawed position. And it's like the Achilles of basketball. They have their, this heel. Um, and you see it time and time again. Almost every power forward fails to lead his team to a championship because he needs a center. Every time he gets matched up against a great center, he can't slow down the center. He's lacking too much size. So then you have to play him next to a big center for extended minutes, which then clogs the spacing. And there are a couple of loopholes where you get around this. And that's more, more recent basketball, like 2008 onward, or when Garnett finally does it. And Garnett plays a lot of center in those series. Um, so he kind of gets around it. And then part of it's also Dirk who Dirk steps out and shoots the three more and says, hey, instead of playing in the paint as a four, I'm going to really space out. And still, he needed Tyson Chandler as that center, which is kind of the prototype of if you have a good power forward, you need a really good defensive center next to him. Um, And philosophically, Tim Duncan was able to avoid all that by just being the center when they needed him to be. You know, they did play him with Tiago Splinter. They did play him with uh, other centers for parts of his career but whenever you needed to you could move remove that center and play him at center play duncan at so he lacks the one flaw all the other power forwards will lack that's very true and even to go further on the garnett point garnett's able to play center and is fantastic in 08 but moving forward the celtics team struggled in kendrick perkins missed time they needed him to play next to to next to garnett especially against the lakers they just weren't weren't big enough against bynum and gasol yeah that does unfortunately leave me in the terrible position of nominating Carl Malone as the best power forward of all time. Man, I was really hoping you wouldn't go that way because I was going to come in and say I have Malone, Garnett, and Dirk, and just if you have a preference, just let me know and we'll go forward with that. I also had Carl Malone as them, kind of just because I typed him in first, but I never moved him. And I feel like even just today, driving to school, driving back, I, on the way there, I convinced myself of Carl Malone. On the way back, I convinced myself of Garnett. And while I was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich 10 minutes before the pot, I convinced myself of Dirk. It's, it, they're all really close. All right, I'm just, you know, the thing with Carl Malone is that he never led his team to a championship, but he was stuck with Greg Foster and uh, is it Foster? Greg Ostertag. Is Greg Foster a center? Are we getting that right? Greg Foster and Greg Ostertag, the Dukregs. I'm thinking of Jeff Foster. He's not a center. Yes. The other great Utah Foster. <laughs> yeah, Malone is stuck with the 4.5 rebound kind of guys. And that's a tough place to be in, needing someone that size. Because with Garnett, Kendrick Perkins is pretty good, a pretty good defensive center. And Tyson Chandler is one of the best defenders in the league when he plays next to Dirk. And Malone never really gets that. The thing with Malone is just he is so good for so long. Yeah. Even as late as age 37, 2001, he is battling Dirk in the playoffs. And Dirk does beat him, but you would you could argue that he outplayed him. 2002, that Utah team is good again. They win 44 games. They do lose in the first round versus the Kings. That was a pretty good Kings team. But Carl Malone, at age 38, was still good enough with, you know, whatever cast around him to get to the playoffs. 
age 38, Garnett and Dirk were doing retirement tours and were waving the white flag, basically. He definitely beats them in longevity. Like, hands Absolutely. down, Malone has one of the longest careers. But he also has a really high peak. And it's it's hard to even look at and know exactly who he beats in some of these years. Because um, you just stack his playoff series by the teams he played. Like, he's, it, he's splitting with Hakeem in... 98, 97, 95, 94. Uh, but then he also has another 2004 run against the Rockets, uh, long after Hakeem. Um, he's splitting with, with Barkley in in Phoenix. He's um, he's just getting series up against a lot of different people. And there is a 19-series run where he averages between 25 and 32 points per game. It's insane consistency. I don't think he, I think he averages under 20 points in a series one. Seven. Jeez. It's, it's wild. And like, I don't want to sit here and just give Malone endless love because if you're listening to this basketball podcast, you probably know Malone is a terrible person that uh, sexually assaulted a minor uh, and has a child with a woman that was 13, a a child that was 13 when he was 19. Um, So I I don't really want to, give him a ton of love but if you just break it down and look at this objectively he's better than every other power forward on this list this is the power forwards podcast yeah if, if we're gonna slight him for the horrible things he's done we can take him off but we just we decided for the the basketball accuracy of it yeah the, the thing with malone is we remember him as a kind of a late 90s player and that's when the jazz are really good his early 80s not early 80s late 80s early 90s years are arguably his best 19 1989 90 31 points, 3 assists, 11 boards on 56% shooting. That's one of the best. And at the time, you know, he's still playing power forward, but he's not the slow lumbering guy we know in the late 90s. Do you know how many times he finished in the top five for MVP? Jeez, I will say eight. Do you want to guess how many times Dirk and Garnett combined finished in the top five for MVP? I'll say eight. You were right with one of those. Dirk and Garnett did it eight times. Wow. Malone did it nine. The only way you, you know, and we're going to post this list, I'm sure I'll post it and we're going to get bashed for posting, you know, giving Malone number one because he didn't win a ring. But he is he's just better than the other guys. He really is. He's better than Garnett and he's better than Dirk. And those guys, the stars aligned and they won a title. But you can even argue at the same time. Carmelone still has more playoff success. He's played in 50 more playoff games than both those guys. And he's been able to to take whatever variation of his team pretty deep into the playoffs. Um, Garnett, prior to 2011, is doesn't have a super great playoff track record. It, it's not fantastic. And it's, you know, I don't blame Garnett for the playoff struggles in Minnesota. If anything, I think he might have overachieved given the circumstances. It's not great there either. And the numbers aren't overwhelming for Garnett in Minnesota either, other than 2004. Garnett is slighted a little bit by playing in the just the worst franchise ever, which is the early 90s Timberwolves. Um, sorry, the, the late 90s, just the 90s Timberwolves, the Timberwolves, the entire franchise. Um, it's usually Garnett, a guard that we're not sure actually contributes to winning basketball. Terrell Brandon, Stephon Marbury, Latrell Sprewell, and then just anything else. And that team's usually pretty good. Do you know who was the second best player on the Timberwolves from 2005 to 2007? This is Serbiak? Serbiak for the first half, 05, and the first half of 06. Uh, and then he gets, uh, I don't know if he doesn't play or if he gets flipped in the trade. I didn't look that deeply into it. Uh, but he gets replaced in the lineup by Ricky Davis 
for the second half of 06 and 07. This goes back to my Ricky Davis theory. You can plot Ricky Davis's career by his negative impact on superstars. You'd be like, and that's when he played with Paul Pierce, and that's when he played with LeBron, and that's when he played with um, uh, Kevin Garnett. And uh, it's just, the numbers are interesting for Davis, but I don't think he played an ounce of winning basketball. Yeah. Are we sold on Carl Malone for number one? Unfortunately, I think we have to be. It's just, the dude was a top five MVP candidate for nine years. He doesn't miss the playoffs for 18 years. And he's, it's not like the tail end of that. He's like limping into the playoffs. No, those Lakers years, they're still playing him 40 minutes a game in the first round. Yeah, he's not Gary Payton on the Heat. I know I bash on I bring that up a lot, but it's probably the worst end to a superstar's career. He is legitimately playing. He was really important. When he gets hurt, that's a huge reason why they didn't win the final. Yeah, the finals, when he's hurt, he doesn't play the whole series. He only plays four of the games, and his minutes drop about 10 minutes a game because he just physically can't do it. And, like, if Malone's healthy... I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, eh, this guy's healthy. But, like, really, if, if Malone's healthy, the Lakers probably take that series. Just... Totally possible. All right, well, who are you nominating for number two? No, I had to go first. You, you can go second. Uh, that's right. We can alternate. Awesome. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Dirk. Good man. I'm going to go with Dirk. And I've made videos saying that Garnett's over Dirk. And I, and I still, they're probably going to be neck and neck when we make this all-time list they're going to be 18th and 19th or 20th and 21st or whatever we decide it's so so close Dirk is probably in just in terms of scoring forwards easily top five right yeah like crazy yeah i think he's got to be there and and now there Dirk has some bad playoff series but he also has some great ones and he also there is a series where he um faces let me find it let me find it Minnesota in a three-game series, and he absolutely hands it to Garnett. And it's 2002, and, and they're both very good. And I'm not saying that's the only reason I'm putting him above, but that there is a little bit of evidence of head-to-head matchups. So I went through kind of some of his best runs, and I, I think we underrate, because of how poorly the 06 finals run ended, how good of a run that was beforehand. Like, he plays Duncan just dead even. He sweeps Pau Gasol, um, and then... Against the Suns, they don't have Amari Stoudemire, uh, and Boris Diaw goes off for 24 points and eight and a half rebounds. Which, like, maybe we should maybe we should talk more about Boris and Boris's position because that is one hell of a Western Conference Finals. But that's true. You know, Game Seven against the Spurs in the semifinals, Duncan goes for 41 and 15, and Dirk goes 37 and 15. Like, that is an amazing game by Duncan. That is an amazing game by Dirk. Uh, sure, when we get to the finals. Dirk kind of falls apart. He's shooting 39% from the floor. Uh, game four, he goes two for 14 from the floor. Just an absolutely abysmal game um, as, as they kind of fall apart and lose to Shaq and Wade. Um, but looking at that, if we go through those finals games, they are stuck playing some abysmal center rotations. And Dirk is not able to get into that mid post. And they increase the minutes of their centers to deal with Shaq and his presence. And it completely backfires because Wade is, ends up being the one that goes off. Uh, but they make all these adjustments to stop Shaq, who had been second in MVP the prior year. Uh, and this is where I kind of came up with my fatal flaw theory that holds true with a lot of these other guys, is that if you need to play a center out there next to him, then then you're kind of screwed. It's why we see essentially all of the power forwards, except for Duncan, which why we excluded him, mm-hmm. really struggle to win. Yeah. The Mavs in that finals play Eric Dampier and Desanga Diop 40 minutes. 
Wait, I got it. I got it. It's Sejana Jop. Sejana It's like the completely... Is it Sejana? It's, I know there's a weird, like, I remember making a video where I had to pronounce his name, and I looked it up and it, everything. I think it's Diop. It's not Diop? No, it's, it's no, like it's, Diop. It's Jop? Sungana. Sungana Jop. Sungana Jop. Yeah, no, it's not a good center. It's not a good center rotation, and those guys might help you against Shaq, but it's probably not going to help you win games, and it also hurts Dirk. I wish they just ran Dirk at the five and just... Maybe Shaq scores every time, but I bet Dirk scores every time too. Ultimately, I think I think Dirk had an amazing run, and we we gloss over it. Um, the eleven run, much less impressive. Uh, he goes through Aldridge in the first round, Pow um, in the second round, um, and, and it was actually really kind of crazy because they they demolished the Lakers in that second round. Um, and I wish I understood sports betting at the time because you can look back at the previous year and even that year's regular season series. They like limit Kobe to like 36% from the field. Like Sean Marion does an absolutely wonderful job. Jason Kidd, the whole team, um, Deshaun Stevenson, they actually do a really good job stopping Kobe. Um, and I just wish I had kind of known that because you probably could have put money on the Mavs based on their regular season record against the Lakers and done pretty well for yourself. I bet you get it. I refuse to use a poor finals performance against somebody when comparing him to somebody who never even made it there, like uh, a Garnett in Minnesota or anyone sure. else. I just he he played so well, he got to the finals. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily I'd say it's just a neutral. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't help him, but to point at that and say well he played poorly in the finals, you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. He was the best player oh. on a team that went to the finals. That is a oh. 100 times greater than playing poorly in the finals." Forgive me. That that was the case I was trying to make. Maybe you didn't say it well, but I think that 06 run is one of the best runs that we see from these guys on this list, even yeah. though he played poorly in the finals. And then he has 2011, where he plays plays great in every round. And yeah. you can point at that and say, well, he did it. So given that, we're going to go Carbalone, Dirk, and then Kevin Garnett. Is that true? It's got to be true. Um, so... No, no, don't. Okay, now go ahead. I'll listen. I'll listen. Someone just slip Giannis in there. Ah, uh, that's crazy already. <laughs> yeah, I don't have him. I don't have him too far down, but over Kevin Garnett. I mean, if if we just did this a year later and Giannis had this like five six year stretch where he's the best player in the world, then I would accept it. But it's just we're one year too early. But I can kind of see it still. I can kind of see it still. I think. I think the case. Almost should be that Giannis should be number one right now. Over Carmelone? Carmelone was the yes. first team on NBA 11 straight times. Yes. And Carmelone never led his team to a championship. That's true. I, I, know, I know Giannis did it, and Giannis has all this. Let him play for a little bit. Giannis did it at his apex. Giannis's apex was enough. It, we actually don't even know if Giannis's apex was enough because he should still be ascending. You know, Dirk and Garnett both get their rings on the back hill, on the downward slope, on the we're going to start taking less because we want our teams to be better. You know, they've had the individual success. Giannis is still on the ascension um, when he gets his. And Giannis does it by dropping a 50-piece in the finals and then going to Chick-fil-A and ordering a 50-piece nugget. That's that's incredible. Um, I hate that you're kind of right because if you ask me, what's the highest level of power forward's ever gotten to? That's not Tim Duncan, which we're calling a center it's Giannis it's Giannis for the past five seasons it's better than anything Carl has done it's better than whatever Dirk has done and it's better than um than anything it's you know especially not especially Garnett but I don't think Garnett has like just this insane apex 
then it's not just like a single season. It is, if I look at it, since 2019, MVP, MVP, fourth, third. I think it's, f yeah. Unanimously, unanimously, four straight seasons of first team all NBA. Jeez, mm -hmm. man, I hate you. You know that? That's, that's four <laughs> straight seasons of unanimous MVP in a league that contains Kawhi, or sorry, four straight seasons of first team all NBA as a forward in a league that contains Kawhi, LeBron, and Durant. And now you might say, yes, Nate, but Kawhi and Durant were injured. LeBron's not been as great these last four years. I don't care. We talk about these guys as if they are, they belong in the stratosphere. Let them defend their crown. Let them be healthy. And the fact that he has been unanimous four straight years, first team, means he's he's kind of ending this discussion. He is the he, best player yeah. in the game. Giannis has been undoubtedly better than all of those guys since 2019. And so I looked back because he has made the playoffs now seven times. Um, and for the first several of those, do you want to know who is like the most competent center power forward other running mate that he had in that front court? Sorry, what was the question? Do you want to know who is the most competent other big next to him in the lineup for those first several years? First several years, because Lopez isn't there yet. Yes, before Lopez. Man, I don't remember. Let me think. You're going to rack your brain and still not remember. I have no idea. Go ahead. Thon McCure. Jeez, is he playing? He is playing. And actually, his play, when he's playing well and when he's hitting threes, he is the prototypical big that you need next to one of these power forwards. You need someone that can protect the rim and hit threes. And that is such a rarity. That is like the Serge Ibaka. And he's playing a lot, actually. And it's what eventually they got with Brooke Lopez. So if you want to say, hey, he got the perfect center earlier, you know, if you'd given Dirk Chandler earlier, they could win. Um, maybe. But I, I just think he has hit a level and a height that these other guys just haven't hit yet. Yeah. I'm looking at the 20th, his second playoff series. The, his starting center next to him is Greg Monroe, which is probably the worst, the, the, the opposite of everything you just described. Yeah. A big that neither protects the room. <laughs> or shoots threes. It's like Demonis Sabonis, but worse at everything. Yeah. Man, I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I just, I, if it feels like Garnett's longevity is important when talking about the all-time list, just for how long he did it. But at the same time, like, let me look at this. We can just say Garnett and just move on and be happy. Or do you really want this? So I hate to tell you this, but I have another guy above Garnett. <laughs> Stop. Stop it. Is it Bob Pettit? It is Bob Pettit. Bob Pettit. There's no way we're going to go Pettit over Why not? Garnett. Why right? not? Oh my goodness. I can't do it. I had Bob Pettit. The order I had it in was Garnett, Pettit, and then Giannis. Because I, mean, I think Giannis over Pettit's totally fine. And we can, you know, fuck it. If you want to go <laughs> Giannis over, over both of them, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Done. <laughs> what, did you, what did you decide on? Giannis over both of them. All right. Pleasure doing business with you. <laughs> Man, yeah, I mean, Pettit is, he's first, second, fourth, first, third, second, sixth, fourth, fourth in MVP voting. Yes, but also at the time, you gotta, like, the smaller leagues, you can be fifth in MVP voting and be, like, a sub-500. Like, if there's literally eight teams there and people aren't giving votes to the second-place guy on some team, like, the, I mean, you, you'd be the fifth-place guy and be, you know, on a sub 500 team. So he's it, such a good scorer and such a good rebounder. 
His career points per game is eighth, 46 for total points. He's uh, he's third in, in uh, rebounds per game, 16.2. He's basically right behind Wilt and Bill every year he plays. Mm-hmm. And he's good enough, although with a slight asterisk, with a Bill Russell injury asterisk, to be the best player on a championship team. I will die saying that Hawks team never should have been there. Never should have been close. Wasn't a good Hawks team. It's probably the, what, probably the worst team ever to win a championship, except for the 51 Kings, but... They did win. And he does close out the series with 50 points and 19 rebounds, which is a pretty, pretty good game. I think it's the first 50-point finals performance, if I remember correctly. I remember trying to find that, and I think I, I think it was. I would also like to say that uh, in the 60s, um, he has just an amazing series against Lakers in 1961. Um, it, it's a seven-game series, and there are three games which are decided by a total of five— Sorry, three games should be decided by a total of four points. Um, and Pettit goes 40 and 18, 31 and 21, and 31 and 17 to win those games. Like, that is superstar shit. It is superstar shit. And if I, if, okay, I think this is right. And I think it's, he does not hold the crown for long. But when he retires, he is the all time leading scorer. I think he holds that for about three seasons before Will takes it over, takes it from him. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's really clearly the best power forward. Probably up until well the eighties, you know, from NBA's inception to the eighties, and he's arguably the best player in the league for a little bit of time. Can you make your case for Kevin Garnett or against him? I'm I'm curious because you put all these guys above him. What what's going on in your head with with Kevin? So with Kevin, the Minnesota years are bad, and rightfully they're not all his fault. Um, in two thousand and four, he eventually loses. Because his team needs a center, um, and they were playing Irvin Johnson and Michael Olawakandi thirty Jesus plus minutes a night. Christ, yeah, Olawakandi is the worst. Is as I think by most advanced metrics, the worst player ever to play in the NBA. It's it's bad, and that's that's the limiting factor. He needs a center. He he truly needs it, um, and that's that's when they lose the Lakers. Is he just can't do it? Um, Garnett's incredibly versatile defensively but isn't able to lead a team or carry a team's defense. Like it, it's really nice that he's lanky, lanky and switchable, but he isn't, he isn't someone that can captain a defense and just shut the other team down. It's too bad because people will tell you that he can, that he's the greatest defender of all time. And he's still probably up there, at least top five, but it comes with that flaw. It's like, you're going to be great defensively. You also have to play a shitty center next to him to actually be good defensive. Seth part now has like an amazing, breakdown of defense in his book um the mid-range theory it's it's fantastic because he kind of goes into like hey a good offense's plan is to get the best offensive player away from the good defender and as a result even with defensive scheming the usage rate for a defender ranges from like 18 to 22 percent like on the high end even your best defenders are only defending like 22 percent of the time defending on ball Whereas, like, for an offensive player, hell, if you're a really good offensive player, you can have the ball in your hand 30% of the time during the regular season. In the playoffs, that can increase to 40%. And, you know, late-game scenarios, you can be 100% ball dominant where it is in your hands every possession. You cannot do that as a defensive player. So I do think that limits how much you can value a defensive player. Still, you know, he's still very good on offense. He does lead the 08 Celtics in scoring. He leads them in scoring. He's not, he's not, he's by no means is he a bad offensive player. He's still, you know, he's going to be 20 to 30 points 
in a playoff series, that's kind of what he's that's what he's going to do. I mean, more, more like 15 to 25, but yes, or, more, yeah. more like 15 to 25. And even yeah. that 25, even that 25 is a bit high. Like, do you want to guess how many times he's had over 25, 25 or more in a playoff series? 25 times. Sorry. How many series has he had? Oh, how many average series? 25. Man, um, how many series has he played in? Can I have that? He's played in 26 series. Man, I'll say eight. Two. All right. Sounds good. Moving on. <laughs> um, can we, because of his defensive impact. We can put him over Pettit. Can we put him over Pettit and we, we'll call it good. I think I'm, I'm right. happy. I'm, I'm very happy with that. All right. We can do that. All right. I'm guessing we have the same number six. At this point, yes, who fucking sir. knows what you're going to tell me? Kevin is it, McHale. <laughs> is, it, is it Charles Barkley? Yes, it is. All right. That's perfect. I love Charles Barkley. I think he was wasted on a not a bad era of basketball, but just a misguided era of basketball that didn't know how to use his talents. He also comes into the league as a little bit too deferential to the established stars. Like in 86, they go to game seven. The 76ers go to game seven against the Bucks. Uh, and Barkley goes six for nine and like is really solid in that game, but just way too passive to Cheeks and Irving. And like they're just gunning and it they lose. And it's like if they had instead tried to feed the young guy, they probably could have won that series. You know that Charles Barkley and Shaq have the same two point percentage? He gets to the bucket. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Just a fantastic rebounder. And the playmaking is there for four assists per game. He's not a black hole on offense by any means he's not just a high usage monster he, he's incredibly efficient and you know up to his very last year he's effective seconds i think he retires in yeah retires in 99 his very last playoff series he's 35 and he retires a bit a bit early he does get hurt quite a bit they lose in four to the lakers it's a five game series but he's 23 points 14 boards four assists on 53 percent shoot he's clearly still got it yeah Longevity is the longevity is there. The peak is there. Takes the Suns to the finals. You kind of wish he had more playoff success in Philadelphia, but Philadelphia did some some strange moves. Interesting yeah. team building by Philadelphia. If I don't, if I remember correctly, they they had the rights to Brad Doherty, and I, I is that is that right? Am I going insane? I think they traded away that pick or traded away Doherty. Maybe I, I don't. I didn't have that in my notes. Um, but I do. You want to know who his center is that he has to rely on? Oh man, I don't even know. Uh, is it um? Oh jeez, is it Oliver Miller? It is Oliver Miller. Yeah, I remember commenting that as somebody because, okay, really quickly, people look at '94 Hakeem as this incredible playoff run. Hakeem is eating up just some of the worst. They're good teams. They're very good teams, but it's Carmelo and the Jazz. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is '95. I forget which year. No, it's, it's it's '94 because he yeah. only goes through David Robin or he goes through yeah. David Robinson that year. The next, or uh, and Patrick Ewing, and then Shaq the following year. But it's it, he goes through a mess of top power forwards, but they have just garbage centers. Garbage. Gar- these guys aren't even playing at all in the regular season, and they, they're brought out mm-hmm. to go up against Hakeem, and he eats him alive really quickly. It actually was right. 1986, the Sixers trade the pick that was as a future first to Cleveland for Roy Hinson. Roy Hinson was not good. No, that's played- a bad deal. He played two seasons in Philadelphia, and that would have been nice to have Brad Doherty. Because Brad Doherty, that's the center. That's a great center yeah. for uh, for a guy like Barkley or for any of these power forwards. Absolutely. So the the center flaw 
was looking into this because 93 was one of his best runs. And I was like kind of looking at everyone's best runs to, to see, you know, how they stack up. And it's one of the weirdest runs. I texted you, have you looked into his 93 run? Because the Suns are the one seed and they start off going down two games in a best of five. So they're facing elimination against the eight seed Lakers. They're being led by Vlade Divac and Eldon Campbell. But Barkley's just too small. It's just so clear. They're getting pounded on the boards and Eldon Vlade are eating. Um, and, and then they bring in Oliver Miller. He played four games in the first game, 10 in the second, and then goes 31, 29, 35 for games three through five. And Barkley, Barkley plays really well. Just to be clear for the, for the listeners at home who aren't super familiar, Oliver Miller is not good. No. Oliver Miller is listed at 69280 and I think that's being generous. I think he's closer to 67320. Career averages of of 7 points and of 6 rebounds, but you needed him to to for that to happen. He comes in the matrix as 1016. Here's a fun fact. Oliver Miller retires in 2000 after playing uh, for Phoenix, then plays four years overseas, and then a team who did, who's a team in 2004 that desperately needed a center? The Charlotte Bobcats? No, we, just, we talked about them. The Utah Jazz? <laughs> no. Oh, Come. oh, God. The Minnesota Timberwolves? The Timberwolves, they bring him back. He plays 48 games. I remember this because they they brought him in there to to be Shaq prep. Shaq got him a contract. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it's wild. You need these centers uh, because power forwards, just as a position, are flawed. They're too small to handle this. They've got a lot of other good skills, but you just need a you need a big. Um, so the rest of that ninety three run though, in the second round to close things out, Barkley just has an amazing game five and game six. Goes 36 and 12, and then 28 and 21 in game five and six, respectively. And then in the Western Conference Finals, they're trading every other game, uh, and the Suns are winning all the odd games, and Sonic's taking the even ones. And so in game five and game seven, Barkley goes for 43 and 15 and 10, 43, 15, and 10, and then 48 and 24. That that superstar shit. Yeah, absolutely. He controlled the boards, but he couldn't defend the rim. Yeah. And that's the flaw goes right back to it so totally fine having him at six he's six on my board sounds good are you ready to jump off the cliff i, I think I there's know. two more there's two more logical next people um yeah. and i i flip-flopped between them i went back and forth uh in the matrix these guys came out where did they come out uh 37 and 39 so like the matrix has them just neck and neck um I, i'm interested how did you parse Dolph shays and elvin hayes I had Dolph Shays ahead of ahead of Hayes. Fantastic placement, by the way. The the Shays and Hayes combo, loving it. That's nice, right? Um, it's nice. It it really it really works. They're like the just the Elvin and Dolph and the Shays and Hayes. They're like the evil the evil versions of each other. I think I think Dolph Shays is better by a, a pretty good margin. Um, but it's still we're going from like one of the twenty five best players ever to probably one of the forty best players ever. There's there's a little bit of a drop here. Yeah, Shays is is really good. Chase is really good, and he plays for a long time. He's one of the rare guys in that era because he starts his career in 1950, and he finishes. He starts for the Nationals. He finishes with the Sixers. That tells you something because the Sixers aren't around until um until 64, 18 points and 12 rebounds. He can control the he can control the boards, and they do win a title in 1955. He's the best player on that team. So when I was looking at best series, I dug into his 59 series actually. 
Um, because the fifty-five, right. he beats the Pistons. It's not the most impressive finals. Like it's 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 okay. It's not great. Yeah. Um, but he, in sixty-nine, he takes the seventy or he takes the Celtics to seven games. Uh, and in game six, he goes for 39, 12, and eight. And then in game seven, 35, 16, and nine. And, and like he he legitimately challenges and pushes these Boston Celtics with, with Bill Russell, with Bob Cousy, with Bill Sharman. Um, and, and then the Celtics go on to just sweep the Lakers. Like this was their toughest competition against Dolph Shays. And it's, it's Dolph Shays. It's Dolph Shays. 12 time All NBA player. And that's something someone I think about, we were talking about, I think Paul Arizon. I think Arizona's just a four-time All-NBA player. And that matters to me because All-NBA was not... At the time, I think up until... I'd have to double-check here one second because I actually do want to know this. Oh, when does it switch from being positionless? Is that what you're... Yeah, one second. Checking? It's 55. 55. So fi- either 55, 56... Either 55 or 56. But Dolph Shays is, is racking up first teams when it is positionless. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of the 10 best players in the league. And he's probably better than that even. Um, something else that's interesting, 19-58 comes within eight first place votes of taking an MVP from Bill Russell. Yeah. this is, You look at Dolph Shays, you kind of think of like old, old NBA, but he makes it to the Russell era and is still very, very good. Yeah, he's alive and kicking against Russell. Um, and part of me... Also, I just have a, a disdain for Elvin Hayes. It's hard to read anything ever written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and not have a disdain for Elvin Hayes. So that, <laughs> that may be clouding my judgment. Tell tell us more. What's the have story? You, have you ever seen like the anger translator videos that Key and Peele would do? Yeah. It's that. It's it's like <laughs> you you read what what Kareem says and Kareem's like, tries to be semi-respectful but you just know he's like bitch <laughs> just elvin hayes was like this thorn in his side he's like maybe to make it slightly more modern if you've seen the last dance documentary it's michael jordan saying i took it personally to clyde drexler like they're not on the same level and kareem went out of his way to destroy elvin again and again and again um and he's successful like he destroys Elvin Hayes in college while tripping on acid. <laughs> His classic, uh, beautiful '60s basketball. Yeah, it's like yeah, I I literally took acid. I couldn't see. I got poked in the eye, and I still dropped like forty and twenty five on him. And it's it, it's great. But as much as I'm sitting here bashing on Elvin, he does have he has some really good moments in his career. Yeah. Um, but all of the best moments kind of end up belonging to someone else. Wes Unseld? Wes Unseld. Bobby Dandridge. Phil Kleiner. Um, so it, it, in 73, he finishes third in MVP voting behind McAdoo and Bob McAdoo and Bill Collins. So like, great, great. That's that's really impressive. It's good. Um, he has more for, first place votes than Collins. Um, then he gets to the first round and his team wins. But Hayes goes 28-11 against Bob McAdoo and McAdoo puts up 37 and 13 on him. Like it's clear why you gave McAdoo the, the MVP. I, I don't care that, that Hayes won. Um, and, and the reason that he wins is Phil Kleiner just shuts down the series and has just an awesome, awesome round. Shut up Phil Kleiner. Second round, he goes up against Cowens and the Celtics. And once again, Phil Kleiner just ends the series, you know, has, has a great series. Uh, 75 finals. 
he goes 20 and 10 against Cliff Ray, Clifford Ray. The Warriors went small and Hayes wasn't able to handle going small. And they just get walked off the floor by Rick Barry and Jamal Wilkes. Um, then we get to this. That, that's like his best run. And when the team needs him most, it's Phil Kleiner that comes through for the wins. And when Phil Kleiner doesn't come through, they end up losing. I love Phil Kleiner. He sounds fantastic. To defend Hayes a little bit, we talk a lot about the, the toughest era of basketball, the weakest era and whatnot, and how when the ABA merges with the NBA in 77, that is one of the hardest times to make an All-NBA team, just given all the talent that's coming together. And Hayes does make... 77 and 79 first team on BA and they win the title in 1979 and it's it's stupid that they did because the Wizards had so many better teams during the 70s they're arguably the best team of the 70s but they still do it and Hayes is the best player on that team because at that point at that point Unsell's averaging like eight points a game and defensively he's the defensive blue and whatnot but Sorry, 78. 78 championship. And, and and Hayes is great in, in all four rounds of that of that playoff series. You remember what yeah, I said about him disappearing me. though? Or the biggest yeah. moments coming from someone else? Yeah. So that finals goes to game seven, which is yeah. kind of wild because if the Sonics took it, we'd be looking at Dennis Johnson as back-to-back finals MVP, although Dennis Johnson has just an abysmal game seven. He goes 0 for 14. So she oh, is. Yeah, that that is an abysmal, absolutely abysmal game seven. But Elvin Hayes goes five for 10, uh, plays just 30 minutes in this finals because he fouls out with like six minutes left and his team wins without him. It's it's why they don't give him finals MVP is one, no one likes him. Two, they win without him and he's a non-factor in game seven. And they're like, cool, we don't have to celebrate this guy. Let's not. Man. The most disliked star that most people don't even really know about. Uh, it's debatable who's hated more in that era, him or Rick Barry. That's that tells you something. That tells you something. But given all that, given all that, twelve-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, scoring champ, a rebounding champ, a champ, two-time All-Defense, seventy-fifth yeah. anniversary team, career averages of a uh, twenty-one, twelve, and two. Oh, he's a lock. He's, he's a, a lock. lock here. We're taking him. Are you going? We're going with eight. Yeah. All right. It's. It's a cliff fall after yes, this. Yes, yeah, it is. All right, whose turn is it to nominate somebody? Uh, I'm I'm nominating you to nominate someone. Chris Weber. Okay, okay. That's my pick. Let's he let's hear the, the case. He is just as good as Garnett or Duncan or Dirk. He's taking he's on the All NBA teams with him. He's taking first team All NBAs from him. Mm-hmm. He's in the MVP MVP conversation. Well, not super heavily. There is a little bit of a peak there. He's the best player on really good Kings teams in a Kings team that was the best team in the league in 2002. And, and, and they should have won the finals and blah blah blah, rigged and whatever. I'm a salty Kings fan, even though I was two years old when that happened. Um, my grandma who didn't who like doesn't even follow basketball at all on my other side. Like, she hated Shaquille O'Neal to the day she passed away. And she never watched a basketball game in her life. <laughs> and then that's that's uh, just to give you what Sacramento people feel about that series. Um, it's fair. It's the scoring. It's the rebounding, the playmaking. He's, act- he's, he's active, at least a positive on defense. Yeah, 20 and 10 his entire career. Every, I mean, the injuries catch up with him, but every time he touches the floor, he's extremely effective. And it's he's not playing for, like, fantastic franchises either. The Kings were a mess. The Bullets were a mess. Even Philadelphia, when he gets there, it's like the tail end of Iverson. It's a disaster. And he has success. He's really good. 
I don't know why I thought I was going to be higher than Chris, we- higher on Chris Weber than you. Like you're literally a Sacramento Kings fan. Like That's true. I should have seen this one coming. Um, I, I have Chris Weber back a few people, but I love the case because we're, we're talking about which guys could arguably lead their team to a final in their apex or win a championship in their apex. And if not for a betting scandal, Weber does it. Really quickly, because I want to mention this, Weber's playoff performances aren't fantastic. No, they're not great. They're not great. And that, that is that is something you can hold over him. And even though, even though we should have won that series, and, and the refs, maybe they would control it even more had this happened, but Chris Weber does shoot 45% from the line against the Lakers. If he just makes his free throws, they win the series. They had they had they, they had something that was in their control, and you could argue that you know oh the refs would just call more if the game was closer. But there is a factor that Chris Webber could have handled that he did, and he did not make his free throws. He also declines rather quickly. That oh four to oh six stretch, his knees explode. Yeah, he's putting up the same numbers roughly twenty and ten, twenty and nine. 19 and 9. Like, but it, it, it's a much reduced Weber. Um, you can kind of see it in the efficiency. Like he drops from being close to 50% field goal percentage to 43%. Like, like he his knees are gone. He's now just putting up more shots to try to get those numbers, but he he's nowhere near as effective. So w- one of my knocks against Weber is just the limitation of this peak. We're really talking about five seasons from 2000 to 2004. And even that 2004 is kind of shaky. And you can see it when he plays plays Granite in the playoffs. I noticed something interesting. I actually had not seen this before. So Weber's first five seasons, including like the Weber's first season in Sacramento, he shoots 45% from the free throw. I don't know what changes or what he does, but by the next year, he's shooting 75%. It's a 30% increase. It's not shooting underhand, is it? I don't think so. But he goes from making 1.9 on 4.1 attempts, 45%, to 4.1 makes on 5.5 attempts. He's just a, he figures something out because he was a fifth, looks like a 50% free throw shooter, 55% his first five seasons, six seasons. Who's your nomination? Because you said you had a few guys. I, I've got two guys. Technically, okay. I had three, but you've definitely convinced me on one of them. So I, I've already made that adjustment in my notes. Okay. So the two guys that I have above him are Anthony Davis and George McGinnis. Okay. I like those. I'm totally cool with Anthony Davis above Weber. Anthony Davis is a game-breaking talent who has better health than uh, than Weber. And I've, I have said this, and I remember watching the 2020 finals happen. And at the end of the, the I forget, the, that series went to six, correct? Yes. And I remember sitting there and I was like, oh my God, Anthony Davis has just won finals MVP. How is this? What are they going to say about LeBron? What has changed about Davis? And then they gave it to LeBron. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I swear to God, I just watched Anthony Davis be the best player on this team. I thought he was just a, a, a game wrecking defensive player. And he was just unstoppable. And he was prior to that. He, he, he wasn't on the same level, but um, he he was arguably better in New Orleans. But the team building in New Orleans was just so bad. But it loops back. Sorry for the tangent, but it loops back to what you were saying about needing a center. Because he needed one, and they got him Alexis Ajinsa and Omar Ashik, And they were awful. And it, it stunted the Pelicans. We really should just go through and compile a list of the centers that these elite power forwards <laughs> had to spend their career with. Thus far, we've gotten Greg Ostertag, Michael Olawakandi, Dasana Diop, Greg Foster, um, Oliver Miller, Omar Ashik, and Alexis Ajinsa. Add them to the list. It's a mess. It's a mess. And then the one time Davis is successful, what position is he playing? He's 
basically playing center. He's playing center, and they have Dwight Howard, and they know there are minutes on and off, but when it came down to it in the playoffs, it was LeBron at the four and Davis at the five, and they yeah. couldn't stop it. That's why you bang your head against the wall every time Davis is like, I don't want to play center. Go get 38-year-old Dwight Howard, please. You're like, oh my god. It's You could probably say that Davis doesn't have the high-end peak that Weber has. I guess he was third and MVP voting one year, but it was it, it was a pretty distant third. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, but it is still a third. It, it's still a third. Um, several of his all-defensive first-team selections come as being a center. You might make the same argument case that we made with Duncan in the beginning that Davis needs to play center. Um, but I think we kind of saw last season that Davis can't play center the full season. He bulked yeah. up too much. Uh, and I remember messaging Ben Golliver at the start of the year and just being like, does, does Davis look injured? Like he he's so heavy and so slow. And, and like you're at the, like Ben was at these games live, and he's like, no, no, he's just bulked up and not moving well. And, and I was like, okay, um, yeah. but s- still the same flaw. That's just kind of my cases. I do think you know it's probably a one A one B, but him winning that shift does does carry a lot of weight with me. So we're cool with Davis at nine then. I am cool with Davis at nine, but we run into the McGinnis. The McGinnis Weber issue. All right. I like George McGinnis. I resent him for losing the six. I resent him because, okay, the Sixers should have won in 1977. Julius Irving should have won that ring. I'm not saying it's his fault, mm-hmm. but people tend to point at Dr. J not being a dominant force as soon as he enters the NBA as evidence that he wasn't really as good. But it goes back to what you're saying about Barkley. Barkley was a little too passive to literally the same, to kind of this uh, different supporting cast, just in a different a different time frame. Um, to Because on that 77 team, really quickly, George McGinnis leads them in shots taken. Then it's Julia Serving. It's 18, 16. Then two shots behind that is Doug Collins and two and one shot behind that is world be free those guys should have never been shooting the ball that much but dr j was just kind of cool with it um and that's why that's why i resent mcginnis he held dr j back all those guys did is as soon as they get rid of all of those guys with and replace it with uh with more you know team friendly pass happy players julius serving flushes 1980 and onwards but it was too late he was already old yeah mcginnis kind of falls apart at in the 77 series in the playoffs and then he's he's just on the downward hill like that that is the the downside of him um mcginnis was an aba mvp in 75 uh in 76 he actually jumps the year before the merger the 75 76 season um and comes in fifth in all or fifth in mvp voting is an all nba first team player he's really good like pre pre pre-merger joining in the nba um, and, and then he does kind of fall off when the leagues merge. And I think that's more age-related than anything else because he showed he could play against both sides of the talent. Yeah, um, 77, 78, 79, he's still, he's still pretty good. Yeah, but but that is the decline. Um, my upside piece for him is that in the 73 finals, he plays against the Kentucky Colonels with Louis Dampier, Artis Gilmore, and Dan Issel, and he averages 22 and 14, and he has a higher field goal percentage than either of the teams. Um, and then we have the 75 finals run. And in the first round, he goes against George Gervin. And McGinnis averages 38, 19, and 9 assists to Gervin's 34, 14, and 1.3 assists. Then against the Denver Nuggets, who would be one of the teams selected to move. There aren't really notable names, but he averages 30 points, 15 rebounds, and 9 assists. 
And then against those same Kentucky Colonels with Gilmore, Issel, Dampier, and Will Jones, who is not a well-known name, but he was first team all defensive ABA uh, at the power forward position. So same positions going against the top defender in the league. Uh, and he still puts up 27, 14, and 6. The competition's there. The production's there. Something interesting. I'm going to... The ABA does have a playoff MVP award they gave out. And McGinnis does have one of those, 1973. And it is for the full full playoffs, not just Which they the totally finals. should do. you got to... Fuck the finals MVP. It's a stupid award. Playoff MVP. My goodness. It is a really dumb award. Something fun that I, I should I should let the... That I will find eventually, or my grandma or my great aunt will find. My grandma shares has an older sister. Um, great auntie chairs. That's true. Great auntie chairs. And she lived in Indianapolis for a long time. And she had season tickets to the Pacers for quite some time. And she remembers George McGinnis and Mel Daniels. And she tells me that somewhere in her basement, which is basically a area under the house that is as big as the house itself, there is some sort of ABA Pacers merchandise of some sort that she says she will find for me but she also struggles to get down the stairs like the the massive stairs that uh her uh preposterous um she lives in a st louis now st louis home has but one day she'll get down those stairs and she's gonna find that for me i I was gonna say if she's still in indiana i'll drive down there and find this for you (laughs) it's somewhere in that base you'll never you'll never find your way out it runs the entire length in the house um, but they sold their season tickets when the Colts moved to Indianapolis, and they they, they got Colts tickets instead. Bad choice. <laughs> they, they got to see uh the, yeah no they got they saw some really bad Colts teams to start, and they missed out on the Pacers. I mean, I guess I guess you got to enjoy Peyton Manning for a minute. I'm just not a football. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They did Peyton Manning and all that. And, all right. All right. So where, where do you stand? I think we I think going Davis Weber McGinnis. I'd be okay. happy with that. Okay. okay. I can live with that. Do you want to know the one guy that your argument convinced me to move Weber over? Sure, go ahead. That would be Pau Gasol. Uh, yeah, we have, sorry, who did you have over who? I initially had Pau over Weber, but then your Jesus Weber Christ. argument. <laughs> That's oh, okay, gotcha. Sorry, I just, and uh, Pau Gasol's not too far back. I just, I consider there's a little bit of a gap, like best player on a title team to like, I don't know. Well, there is I know, a case. 2010 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All right, no, who, good, who good. else do you have? Who, who's your next up? Kevin McHale. Okay, I, I have McHale at 13. Okay. Um, real interested to hear where you think he's better than Gasol. Really quickly, I'm going to toss a name out there. I still have him over Pau Gasol. Maybe I'm being an idiot, and that happens sometimes. How about Amari Stoudemire? I have him at 14. So I, okay, I, we're, got them, we're in the same area. I'm like, I like it. I like it. I've got them all in the same ballpark. I wish Kevin McHale was better. <laughs> so I not love a, Kevin not McHale. Not a strong way to start an argument. <laughs> I, I love McHale so much. He comes off the bench for a lot of it. Yeah. 81 to 85. Then there's a basically a, a four-season stretch where he is starting, and he's really good in that time. It's 86 to 89. He's averaging 23 nine and two but there's guy three you know the three titles he's a part of something great he's like the second best player is he though <laughs> i don't know i'm talking myself in circles because it comes back to like he's probably the second best player i think he's better than parish but you need parish more than you need a mikhail well so let, let's break down those three titles the first title yeah. 81 he averages 17 minutes per game in the playoffs yeah he's barely playing. he's barely playing he's a rookie the second one 84 
He's up to 30 minutes a night. He is coming off the bench. He was an all-star in 84, I want to say. Yes, he was. Um, but, but just looking at that, Parrish is more valuable. Parrish is absolutely more valuable. This is the, this is the seven-game series against the Lakers. This is a defining series for the Celtics. And in Game 7, Mikhail plays 26 minutes. He gets 10 points, 4 rebounds. Like, it, it, it's, it's a fine game. But it's not just that he's not the second best player. It's that he's the fifth best player. And, and like, yeah, Mikhail is like I-5 or 4 to 6 um, in 84. So now we're kind of just down to one title where he really, really matters. It's a, it's a great, it's not just, he's really good. He's really oh. good in that uh, in that playoff series. All Boston media love aside, because I do think the fact that like NBA media is so heavily Boston and like kind of inflates Boston guys, that 86 team, you can break it down by the numbers. And I know you have, is still one of the greatest NBA teams of all time. Like that's, that's not an overinflation of Boston media. Um, and and Mikhail is arguably as good as Bird. Um, in that finals. I know Bird is real close to a triple-double. Mikhail is much more efficient with his scoring. Outscores him. He's a leading scorer in that uh, in that finals. Yeah, but he's averaging basically 26 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2 assists. Bird is 24 points, 10 rebounds, almost 10 assists. Like, Yeah, like, man, I just, I grew up, and it's like the first thing I ever learned about basketball is like, my dad teaching post moves. He's like, Kevin McHale used to do this. And I'm like, Kevin, I'm like seven. I'm like, Kevin McHale is the greatest player ever. <laughs> sure. He used to, he used to do the up and unders. Um, and I was talking to my dad a little bit about this. Cause he was a Celtics fan of the eighties about where, about D- Davis versus McHale. And he's just like, I don't give a shit about Anthony Davis's stats. Like I take Kevin McHale. And I'm just like, yeah, that's just, there you go. That, that's some, there's the elite basketball analysis you need. Well, does that, does that sway you at all? It, it's not a unique analysis. Um, one of the things that my matrix looks at is like writers' polls and writers' opinions. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just kind of go through ESPN list, the athletics list, Bleacher Report, Slam, Sports Illustrated. If you know, I can find an updated Bill Simmons list, which haven't gotten a new one since 2011. Um, yeah, I, I look at those. And, and from lists of the last five years, he his average position is 39th. That's way too high. That's way too high. It's people will people tell have, you like I will have old people comment on my TikToks and not to be mean and people above the age of forty five, but um, they'll tell you like Kevin McHale is one of the forty best players ever. I I can't get there. I think like I I think he's one of the he's one of the seventy five best players ever. Like I'd love to go there. I don't know if we're even gonna have room for him at that. Point, but to get to top fifty, and I'm like that's not that's not. It's not. It, it's it's you overinflate it. It's it's you do the thing that people just just do, where you say, "Hey, he was a key piece of the Celtics. He has three rings." Those are those are both true statements, but they're not accurate. Yeah. Like Mikhail, it was a key piece of the Celtics when they couldn't win anymore. Mikhail was kind of supposed to bridge the gap to the next great player or like help carry the load as he kind of came on. And Mikel kind of fumbles the bag as he gets, Bird. He does, he does get hurt, I think, in '88. Yeah, and, and he plays hurt through the playoffs, and like and he still limps around yeah. for doing that. But yeah, but after '88, his his shooting just takes a nosedive. If part of that's his limitations, um, but really, we're we're talking about a low grade All Star here. Yeah, 
What's your Pau Gasol case? Because if we're doing it, that's the guy we're taking. So my Pau Gasol case is two rings as opposed to one as mm-hmm. a, a, as the really high a level contributor. That's true. Um, we saw Pau lead a bad, and I mean a bad, yeah. uh, Memphis team to the playoffs repetitively. Um, the very first the one, good Grizzly. Yeah. The one year that we really see uh, McHale on his own, they're they're a five hundred team, so they they're about the same. It's not like they're a, a huge leaper bound different um, either way forward. But I just think Powell with his two rings as that player it is really important, um, and, and what he brought to those teams. Yeah, I, I love. It. I think with longevity for Gasol is really important. Oh yeah, he's an all star at age twenty five. At that point, he's one of the better players in the league. He makes three straight all star. Three straight all-star teams, 09, 10, 11. Then the Lakers are bad, and he's not making all-star teams again. And he goes to Chicago, and all of a sudden, he's he's just as good as he ever was. It's the um, the third most blocks he ever averaged was in 2016, and the and the most rebounds he ever averaged is 2015. Like he is insanely effective on on, on the Bulls. Yeah, and I'm just gonna read some numbers off of the Matrix. And in case anybody tries to rebuild the Matrix from home, what it does is it looks at win shares. Um, doubling playoff win shares for a season looks at them at a one, three, five, ten year or averages, and then a full career total. I'll read Powell's first, then McHale's. In a one year best year, Gasol is thirtieth, McHale is sixtieth. Three years, Powell is thirty second, McHale is forty third. Five year, Powell is thirty eighth, McHale is thirty. Sorry, Powell is thirty seventh, McHale is thirty eighth. Ten year. Pau is 42nd, McHale is 39, and then full career, Pau is 32nd, and McHale is 48th. So Pau is winning three out of the five time frames, um, and a couple of those rather significantly, the 30 to 60, um, most handily at all, but they're really close. Yeah, man. So I, I wanted, to, I wanted about to, stats. <laughs> I wanted to believe that that Ken McHale is the, is one of the is up there. But you look at it and you're like, this guy's only starting for a certain amount of time and no matter where he goes and how good he is, that team went as Larry Bird went. Mm-hmm. No matter what. And that's not saying that he should have had worse teammates, because I think the best thing that ever happened to him is is Larry's having Bird on his team. Is he's even in these conversations. He could have been on Atlanta like Dominique and they win thirty five games each year and it's just over. But all right, Pau Gasol at Twelve. Yeah, twelve. The two more things uh, on Mikhail. Mm-hmm. Mikhail only ever makes one All NBA team. That's true. The, you know, it is. Uh, I know we've talked about this. There is only. It's just first and second, but it's it's a appropriately sized for the league size. Yeah, and that matters. And I, that matters. He's not one of the. He's just not one of the top players in the league. The the tippity top players of the league, at least. And I completely forgot what point number uh, two was. So, right. on to Amari Stoudemire. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I think at that point it's Gasol. Are we going to go Mikhail at 13 and then Amari? Or do you want to... Oh, no. I, I I think Mikhail at 13. Okay. Um, because that 87 run, the 86-87, Mikhail is real good. Okay. Um, and Mikhail is, is also a really good defensive player, um, which is something that... That was the second point. Because um, Gasol's defense is what really helps the Lakers in 2010. But Mikhail is also, was it seven or six-time all-defensive teams? Um, he, he just plays both sides of the ball really well. And I think that's that's kind of a, a knock in Amari Stoudemire's game, is that he is he is really offensive heavy, and he is being gifted great passes by 
Steve Nash for so much of his career. That's true. He he's very effective. Not fantastic defensively, right? Like we talked about. But an interesting thing about uh, about Stoudemire is he bridges the gap. He plays power forward, but when at his when he's at his best, he is playing center. Does indeed. He doesn't need the the bigger center next to him. He is that bigger center. You want to hear a really? You've probably seen this, but really weird playoff series of the day is 2005 Western Conference Finals. The Suns lose to the Spurs in five. Stoudemire averages 37 points, 10 ports. Told us up seven assists over the entire series. 55% from the field. What happened? Just is that the hip check series? Um. No, I want to say it was no, 2007. No, Yeah, that's 2007. Okay. He's still he's good in that series too. 26-10 and somehow gets one assist over six games, but that's a different conversation. Man, 37 points per game. That that's a lot of points. And that's against a really good team. Yeah. The Duncan's I mean, there. They, they win the championship that in 05. Yeah. Were they the best defensive team in the league? Let's see here. Yeah, they have the number one defensive rating in that year. And he's just dropping a cool 37 on him. Easy 37. It's a real shame how his career went um, and, and the fact that he got injured in New York and went downhill really quickly um, because it also kind of strands Carmelo with a really bad Knicks team. Um, but Stoudemire is kind of the evolutionary link where you just say, all right, screw it. We don't have a good five to put next to him. We're just going to play him at five. We're going to go small. And that's that's just how we're going to do. So I love him at 14. That sounds perfect. For a recap, we have Carl Malone, Dirk, Gart. No, wait, wait. For a recap. I never, cha- I never changed that. We've also decided that Tim Duncan is not going to be a part of this. That's true. He'd be one. We're not idiots. He'd be one. Carl Malone, Dirk, Giannis, Garnett, Bob Pettit, Barkley, Dolph Shays, Elvin Hayes. Still love that. Shays and Hayes. Anthony Davis, Chris Webber, George McGinnis, Pau Gasol, Kevin McHale, Amari Sotomayor, and I think it is your turn to nominate somebody. Damn it. I'm all ears. Ah, damn it. I want to do it. Go ahead. Jerry Lucas. Okay. I had him one spot down, so I'm okay with that. What, who do you have him one spot behind? Blake Griffin. That's that's who I have up right behind him. All right. Um, Jerry Lucas is statistically a marvel. Um, he really is. And the problem the is rebounding. you can explain away a lot of his rebounding, but Jerry Lucas averages over 20 rebounds per game in two separate seasons. And he does, his statistical output just messes with the matrix. He comes in 53rd in the matrix. God damn. <laughs> it, it's such a high. <laughs> That's pretty it, funny. It's like when we used PER, when my matrix used PER, and Anthony Davis was like 38th because he's just the PER god. Yeah. Jerry Lucas, his rebounding um, is absolutely insane. And then what's wild is, can you guess how many times he led the league in rebounding? Man. Rebounds per um, game. Rebounds per game? And I, I'm going to read off his I, rebounds I, per game while you're thinking I'm gonna this. I'm going to say, I think I know where you're going with this, because I'm pretty sure, given the time period, he never does it. So he averages from 64 to 69 17.4 20 points 21.1 19.1 19 and 18.4 and he never leads the league in rebounds per game but he's close he's definitely in the top three four five area yes he's in the top three four five he's third for three straight years fourth second fourth fifth like looking at 
I love doing this where you look at, if anyone asked me, how good was Bill Russell defensively? Tell them, just go through not Wilt, because Wilt's a, Wilt is different. Just the average setter. And their their matchups are even powerful in the sense against a Bill Russell that defense. Um, 1964, one second. The first round, they beat the Sixers, and Lucas is ten is, uh, 14 and 10, 51% shooting. Next Next, my goodness. Next series against Boston, he's ten points, fourteen boards on twenty-seven percent shooting. It's just a a half in production. It's the Matrix says what it says, and the statistical model really loves Jerry Lucas, um, which is why I, I was kind of hesitant to make the case for him. Because literally, all I've done is is slash at his case. You know, he's a three-time All NBA first team, and they do all kind of come pre the ABA stealing talent um so they're competitive runs he is a really good player i think one of the critiques i've seen against him is that he's not that good on the knicks when he finally gets his ring no that's that's the end of his career he's no longer an all-star but during his all-star period he is taking his teams to the playoffs he's definitely not good on the knicks but yeah he's he's 31 and 31 as a professional basketball player at six six eight in 1971, you were your knees were six years old. Yeah, so it, it's it's really this statistical performance of being 20 and 20 for five years, uh, six years. Like that, that's my case for him. I don't love it, but at, at some point, the numbers do need to matter for for Lucas. Yeah, I, I what do feel you like for man. Well, I was looking at Lucas stuff. I was I was all in on Lucas. Well, do you got a better case for Lucas? Because I I did not make it well. There really isn't. He is he is. So good at rebounding. He's an efficient scorer. He's definitely good enough to take his teams to the playoffs. He's with Oscar, though, for those years, isn't he? Pretty sure he still is. Yes, he is with Oscar on the Royals. Yeah. So I guess in a sense, he's not hes not taking his teams to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know. That's fair. It's, it's, you feel like if the numbers point to someone who's extremely effective, but if him and Oscar doesn't mean like a 65 win team i don't think he should be as high as 15 well the other thing is what is 15 going to be in this this because uh just looking at some of the other guys that we've placed him behind in the matrix we've got guys that are like 85 and 70 like like this is this is the back end of the 100s or the back end of it, it is i think we're, we're looking at almost probably the last spot with the last two spots here it's griffin and it's lucas for griffin his years for the clippers he plays eight seasons there 22 points nine boards four assists 51 percent shooting um and he even kind of changes his game because his first two seasons he's averaging um 11 and a half boards three and a half assists and then he kind of changes to more people always said that blake griffin like his game never changed he couldn't he never developed the skills that wasn't true that is that is a case made by 12 year olds online who don't who just watch the dunking tapes he absolutely is able to he comes on the perimeter more he helps the clippers able to be able to play deandre jordan add that to another center who shouldn't probably the best of the centers that we've talked about but probably held the clippers back because you needed to play deandre jordan um i don't know i'm going with this but (laughs) he's really good he has a third place mvp finish um he's one of the 2014 2013 he's one of the 10 best players in the league he's probably one of the five best players in the league in 2014 2015 versus houston they lose the series they blow it but he's still 27, 12, and 5. And in the first round versus the Spurs, he's 24, 13, 7.5 assists. So I, I was pulling up 
I knew I had written it down somewhere and it took me just a minute to find it, but ESPN does their, their preseason player rank. Um, yeah. and, and it's goofy. It's, it, it's flawed, but Blake Griffin was in the top 15 of that player rank for six straight years, six straight. Yeah. A- and like peaks out at number five. I think that's accurate. I think that's better than Lucas ever got. If ESPN was back around back then, I don't think Lucas is making the top five. Um, yeah. Looking back on it, kind of off topic, but the, the Lob City Clippers were not the perfect team. I think what makes them so disappointing is people, the average fan looks at the Lob City Clippers and they see Chris Paul and Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, Jumal Crawford and JJ Redick, and they're like, I can't believe this team didn't win more. Excuse me. Um, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin get banged up pretty easily. DeAndre Jordan cannot play at the end of games. And Jamal Crawford and JJ Reddick cannot guard anybody. It wasn't as good as he thought it was, and they shouldn't. No, like they, I think they performed right about is how, right about where I think they should have. A little disappointing, but it's not. It's not the biggest failure in the world. They were one Kawhi Leonard away from being a dynasty. Explain yourself. What do you mean by that? Sorry, I, I said that wrong. I, I should have said they are one Durant away from a dynasty um, because they were one of the Hampton Five teams. Mm. And it just always comes back to my thought of like people when they freak out about Durant going to the Warriors, no matter who Durant went to, they were going to win the next couple of championships. Um, but really, a Durant or Kawhi, they needed a small forward that could actually defend someone. Like the Paul Pierce experience, the Matt Barnes. <laughs> like, it was so bad. Jeff Green. Oh my gosh. Just, just a litany of terrible threes, which when you're playing J.J. Redick, as your two, like you need someone defensively good. Redick is a great floor spacer. He plays his role perfectly. He comes in and knows what to do. But if you're going to have that, you need the defensive player next to him. And you didn't have that. Didn't have it. I'm totally fine having him over uh, Lucas. I do think, I think that's probably where we should stop moving Lucas back. Yeah, I think so. I, I could be talked into continuing to drop Lucas for a little bit. Okay, well, we'll see. Even though the statistical model really loves him um i i do think there is a drop off yeah there is i love that which we're, we're me and you are like up to our ears in basketball and and we know so much we have so much information at our fingertips and we still are like make a case for blake griffin you're like well <laughs> uh jerry lucas you're like uh well rebounds like we just we got to the point of this list where it's not super convincing you know what i mean yeah I mean, yeah. you said you've got twenty-seven more guys. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't I, I can't fathom who they all are. I mostly not that I think they're top one hundred candidates, but I didn't want to. I, want, I never want to. I would never want to miss out on somebody and be like, oh, like I totally forgot that guy. So it's longer than it has to be, and I've done that for every list. That's that's fair. I I thought I did that too, going down to twenty-two, but mm. uh, apparently not. Who is your seventeen? Uh, Tommy Heinsohn. Tommy Heinsohn. Tommy Heinsohn. Interesting. I have him as my 19. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm flexible. I'm flexible. I think that the case for Heinsohn is just like Sam Jones, Russell does people to score points. They come in at the same time, and it's perfect because mm-hmm. Russell does all the defending, and Heinsohn does all the scoring. Heinsohn, for his career, 17-1 in playoff series, 20 points, 9 points. That's what the Celtics needed, and he's perfect for it. Uh, I think he leads the 57... 59, 60, 61. All these finals in the scoring. Let me double check on those. He may, but I'm going to guess it's by less than one full point per game. Uh, Okay, which one is this? This is 61, 22 points per game versus Kuzi's 
20. Bakuzi also is shooting 36% from the field, so this is a little bit. 110 points versus 99. 10% difference in efficiency. Um, the 60 finals, again versus uh, the Hawks. Man, poor Hawks, just getting the worst of this. 22 points versus 19 points per game from Charmin. The 59 finals versus the Lakers. Uh, Heinsohn is 24 points per game. 47% shooting versus Frank Ramsey's 22 on 47% shooting as well. I mean, they, they, they just whoop on the Lakers. They don't have yeah. a chance. Then the 57 finals, again versus the Hawks. Heinsohn leads them in scoring, again, 24 points per game versus Sharman's 22, although he is more efficient as well. So you're looking at someone who's just consistently the best scorer on title teams, and I can keep going. I think he's 62. Let me ask you this. What yeah. title team was he the second best player on? I don't know. 63? What title was he the third best player on? I'd say most of them. So I, I went through this and, and I ranked them. Okay. And the way I was ranking them right. was by win shares, but also by minutes per game. Yeah. Because I, I do think that it says a lot when one guy is getting 44 minutes a night in a series and the other guy is getting 33. Yeah. That just tells me something in the level of your importance is your team is playing you that much. And for his eight rings, he was the fourth most important guy five times. He was the third most important guy in 61 and 63 um, by my rankings, which which may be flawed. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 65, he was the sixth best player. So he's got a lot. He's there a lot and he's scoring a lot, but he's not really helping out on the boards as much as you would expect from a power forward. Well, um, and they're, they're not playing him as much as... A lot of these other guys, like there's series where Bill and Sam Jones are getting 40 plus minutes and it's like, hey, we, we can sub out this guy. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter as much. Heinsohn is grabbing nine boards a game and Bill Russell's just vacuuming in 30 to 40. Yes, <laughs> one guy is vacuuming in 30 and the other guy's at yeah. Yeah, 8.6. And, and that's why Russell is the, is the fourth best player ever. And and Heinsohn's the hundred fifth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, who yeah. do you who do you you want to go Heinsohn at, at at seventeen or do you have one more guy? I'd like to make the case for Chris Bosh. Oh, okay. Eleven time All Star. Yeah. Two time NBA champion. Critical on those. He's the third best player for critical. Critical third best player, and we also got to see him do really well leading a team beforehand maybe not really well that might be overblowing his toronto to a playoff appearances really quickly i think we get to the this this level and this is the the high-end third guy and the low-end one guy and i mean low-end not like yes like and it's even lower than like marcus johnson it's like well marcus aldridge and his two playoff appearances or kevin love in the on the Timberwolves, or bosh on the raptors um but yeah yes the the 70s is kind of the range where you can get away with that not the 70s is in the time but the 70 you know one to 100 rankings 70s are like guys that can get their team to the playoffs on their own but can't be a number one guy you start the to cross over yeah the like after that you're like hey you're really good but you cannot get your team much of anywhere um but i think bosch exhibits greater longevity with those 11 all-star seasons he gets um, robbed by health as well he would have been good for a while oh absolutely he especially been, he with might how have the been good last yeah he might have been good last year i think he's only like 37 maybe 38 by now let's see here yeah he's 38 yeah, yeah. he could have sat in the corner and just kind of played switchable defense and hit threes 
if I remember correctly, there was some statistic when the Heat were just dominating that Bosch was the best pick and roll defender in the league. Quite possibly. Because that was around right around the same time, and Bosch kind of starts this transition from what the NBA perceived as a good defensive center. And it was right when Roy Hibbert started to die, and right when Bosch started to... Although kind of the peaks kind of coincide, but you see that trade-off. Where it's like, maybe like the seven foot two lumbering giant actually isn't the secret to infinite playoff defense. Mm-hmm. And it's Chris Bosch. And that, that, that philosophy, whether it was intense or not, that's why we're here now. And it, it definitely wasn't appreciated in his time. He never makes an all-defensive team. And he should have. He was a better defender than Roy Hibbert. I'll just say that. I'll put it out there. Yeah. He was more impactful. Yeah. I also, I do hold a little bit of um, Celtics criticism against Tommy Heinsohn. Because um, it kind of, Heinsohn was the guy that would like show up with a pack of smokes. Heinsohn would show up with a beer. <laughs> it was the Heinz- 50s. They, they were smoking at halftime. They were smoking on the court. Heinsohn wasn't always in the best shape. Heinsohn, like, Cigarette smoke burning your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's how, that's how the Nationals tried to stop, uh, stop, George Mikan, as they did a cigar night, because he, <laughs> the smoke really bothered his eyes. He wore glasses, and very sensitive funny. eyes. The the Fort Wayne Pistons came up with that strategy. Of, <laughs> we can smoke them out. That's and it funny. worked. And so the Nationals gave out free cigars wow. to literally basketball in the fifties. Wild. Those that's that's a thick smoke that will get you. Yeah. My goodness. All right, but how would you feel about Bosch over Heinsohn? I actually, I had Bosch a few spots down, although at this point in the list, I kind of, not that I stopped thinking about it, but I more just wanted to bring names to the table. I didn't have a direct list. Um, I had Sean Kemp over Chris Bosch. That's, the the five guys I have left, because I'm at the same point with you, of yeah. like, one of these five guys is going to make it in the 95 to 100 spots, and, and none of the rest of these will be on this the final list. The, the kind of the... I guess I technically have six names left, but one was more just obligatory. Mm-hmm. Um, the five names I have left are Chris Bosch, LaMarcus Aldridge, mm-hmm. Tommy Heinsohn, Bailey Howell, Sean Kemp, and Kevin Love. Okay. I basically had the same setup. I say we select three of those guys to make the final cut list for the the top 100, because I don't think there's no way that we get through all of these guys. When we finished small yeah. forwards, we said we had 33 spots left and we're 20 people deep in power <laughs> forward. That's the true. It's going to be a lot of centers too. Okay. I like I like Heinsohn okay. as one of the three. I kind of like Kemp. Okay. What's the case for Kemp? Talk, talk to me about Kemp. I love, I, I, I go back and forth because I think Gary Payton was really important. From 93 to, to 90, let's go 97. It's a five-year stretch in Seattle. Mm-hmm. 19 points, 10 boards two assists but he's really good in the playoffs and that same there's 95 96 97 even 90 heading to 98 for cleveland in the playoffs plays in 40 games starts all of them 22 points 11 boards two assists and something interesting if i remember correctly let me let me double check on this well while you're checking on that i just want to pull up because he he gets to face a number of the like premier players that's what I'm looking at. In 93, he goes up against against Carl Malone. And, or sorry, in 93, he goes up against Charles Barkley. And Barkley's a better player. Barkley, Barkley pretty handily shows that he's a better player. But Kemp is still really good. And, and since we're going to have Barkley somewhere in maybe the late 20s, early 30s, Kemp, keeping pace with that's impressive. Yeah. In, in 96, he plays a diminished Drexler, uh, but a Drexler nonetheless. 
and has sorry, not Drexler. Man, I can't talk. It is Drexler, but it's also Hakeem Elijah one. Um, and the Hakeem is the oppressive thing because he he's really going going to work and giving giving Hakeem the business. This is that's what I was looking for. Yeah, I have it. Go ahead. Uh, well, and then later in '96, he goes up against Carl Malone, and, and he's not as good. He's not as good as any of these three guys. But he's still in the conversation. He still is playing well. 1996 game four. This they they sweep Houston in 96. They they brush him out of there. We talk about the centers needing a center. How that's like the fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. The Supersonics in game four do start Irvin Johnson, but he only plays 13 minutes. And so compared to a lot of these other guys, Kemp doesn't need. He's out there without Irvin Johnson. It's Sam Perkins. It's and it's and he's not as big of a center, but he still goes 13 for 19 shooting, 32 points, 15 boards. And that's him and Hakeem down there. It's not it's not him and Irvin Johnson and Hakeem, because Irvin Johnson's not playing very much. Do you want to know Sam Perkins' record against Hakeem Olajuwon? We've talked about this. Sam Perkins owns him. <laughs> Sam Perkins roasts Hakeem. <laughs> like, he just he keeps beating him. He can't, he can't be stopped. Like, like in the playoffs. And it just... Whenever someone tries to say that Hakeem is the greatest defensive player of all time, I just wanted them to, I I want to show them these series and be like, how is Perkins roasting him then? Why is Perkins hitting 63% from the field? Why? Sean Kemp, 124 offensive rating against Hakeem Olajuwon. It's, yeah, I think if you want to put Hakeem here, I'm not going to, or not Hakeem, if you want to put Kemp here, I'm not going to fight it. Um, I, I would take Kemp. Well, I would take Bosch over Kemp, but I think if we're talking about um, individuals and if you put him on a team with no other help, sure, sure, I, I can get there with Kemp. I think that this is a really fluid range. How about we go Heinsohn, Bosch, Kemp? I can get there. Yeah. Okay. And then I think that's it. I had Lamarcus, Kevin Love, Bailey Howell, DeBusher, Draymond, Rudy Tomjanovic. Tom Chambers and Maurice Lucas. And the rest of those guys are just for conversation pieces, but I don't think they're close to the top 100. Well, let's at least kind of discuss why we don't have Draymond and why we don't have Dennis Rodman, because I can already feel TikTok yelling at us. <laughs> yeah, you really you really have to go ahead. Because um, I made videos, and I essentially said what, what I'm sure you're going to say, which is ceiling raising is bullshit. That's a fake thing. It doesn't exist. The only reason Draymond is up there to raise the ceiling is because he's playing with players that are better than him. If a prerequisite for Draymond Green to be more effective than number one options like Bosch or, or Griffin or Stoudemire, he has to be around guys that are better than him. And if that's the case, then what does it matter? Put um, if, if let's say for like let's say for for like Weber, if Chris Weber has two guys that are better than him, not just better than him, but two of the top five players in the league, that team probably never loses. I don't know if you remember the Weber stat line I read off like an hour ago. Actually, did I even read it off? I don't think you read a Weber stat line off. Did I, did I not read? Okay. Uh, the 2000 finals. I totally didn't read the stat line. Game four, or sorry, not finals, but Western Conference finals. Game four, Chris Weber goes for 23 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists, seven blocks, and four steals. That's insane. That is just like, like he has his fingerprints all over him. That, that's, you, you want to tell me that, he needs to dial back his offense and do more defense and passing and take the Draymond. Done. He can do it. Mm-hmm. Can Draymond scale up and lead a team? Um, I don't know. I, I listened to a Zach Lowe podcast where Zach Lowe was saying that he would love to see Draymond do that and thinks that Draymond could elevate a team. 
I try to make it a habit of agreeing with Zach Lowe whenever possible, but I don't. I think he'd be effective. I think Draymond's an effective player in, in, in every scenario, and that's what makes him so good. He's still a great player. But like Chris Bosh, take the Raptors to the playoffs and then scale it back and be that, sec- that second, third guy, right? Mm-hmm. Draymond, let's see him scale it up, and he never has. And you like there is an example. 2020, Clay and Steph are hurt. Draymond Green, I don't know if he's the fifth best player on that team. He plays horribly. He shoots 38% from the field. That's the worst team in the league. That's what you get. And all of a sudden, like, Draymond or, like, Steph and Clay come back, and now he's better than Carmelo Anthony or something? Like, no, we just watched him, like, command the worst team in the league into the ground. I would also like to say with Draymond, he plays a very small set of games. Like, 15, he's, he's on the ascension. 15 is when we get Draymond as we know Draymond today. Um, but that's that's pretty kind of low tier. It's really 16, 17, 18, where we see peak Draymond. And then 19, he kind of regresses. This is He's arguing you know, with Durant. His, the team is suspending him. Um, he takes a statistical dive. He's he's averaging seven points per game during the regular season. Yeah, he ramps it up in the playoffs. But he kind of says, hey, I don't care about the regular season. Uh, 2020 did terrible. 2021, terrible again. Uh, 2022, he's defensively really great but still very limited offensively um, to the point where the team team kind of rolls along without him um, for much of the year. And you can kind of look at some of their championship runs. Their play doesn't really get that much worse when he's off. Like it's Steph Curry that stirs the drink. Um, You can pull up the Steph Draymond on off splits and with them together, they're like plus 11 points over like the seven year span, which is insane with just Curry. They're like plus I think it was seven or eight points, which is really still quite amazing. Um, without either of them, they're negative like five or six, uh, which is really bad. Um, and with just Draymond, they're like plus two. They're they're barely moving the needle. I think looking back, even at the last year's finals, Draymond Green, 33%. I mean, he shoots, he had horrible games. 14 for 42 the entire series, 2 of 16 from deep. He was he was getting mocked online for just playing horribly in games the Warriors were winning, and, and that's that's the difference between role players and stars. It, is you you put out and the example is Carmelo because that's what my TikTok videos were about. You put out Carmelo, and if he puts up the Draymond Green stat line, that would be he'd be the laughing stock of the league, and his team would lose. But Draymond gets to have bad games because there's always going to be someone playing better than him in front of him. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh- you know, kind of to talk about it, 2016, he punches LeBron in the nuts and gets suspended. And then there's a ton of talk, and it drives me crazy when people talk about this. Um, they'll say, hey, game seven, 32, 15, and nine. It's great. Well, it's great performance stuff. Great, great performance. But what they don't talk about is game three, two for eight from the floor, negative 15 in on off. Just, just not good. Not good. Game four, before he punches and gets tossed out. He plays 42 minutes this game. Yes, he's got 12 rebounds, four assists, two steals, three blocks. He's also got three turnovers, four fouls. He's two for nine from the floor. Not a great game. Game six, three for seven from the floor, 10 rebounds, six assists, one steal, one block, five fouls. He gets to have those because he's he's not Steph. He was not Clay. He's not Durant. He has four bad games. Well, three bad games in a suspension, which is, is kind of a bad game. That's true. I would uh, by game score in the in the finals it was Curry at twenty three point two, Wiggins with fourteen. So it's like a one pretty significant drop off to a two. Clay Thompson nine point seven, and then it's 
Draymond Poole, Gary Payton, Kevon Looney, all 7.4, 7.5. Yeah. That's about how it was. And that's, you know, there's the best of Draymond as much before that. But what is he? He's like the fourth, fifth best player on the, of maybe, I would say fourth best player, third best player on the on the Warriors. You're like, okay. He's Tommy Heinsohn. On half the championship teams. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. That, that's but, why he's lower. But also, well, it's more like a third of the championship teams, but also a third of the league size or yeah. three times the league size. Like it, it kind of equates out, but yeah, it's just, there, there are a lot of other guys that can be in that role. Uh, we didn't get to talk much about Bailey Howell. No, we didn't. How did you get, did you get a chance to dig into Bailey Howell much? A little bit, a little bit. I checked to see how he's doing like on the Pistons and whatnot. And so I, I think I came up with the perfect analogy for Bailey Howell. Yeah. He's what Westbrook would have been on the Lakers if it had actually gone according to plan. <laughs> All right. He statistically kind of carries the Celtics in the regular season for the last two Russell wins. Like the last two last two Russell titles. Yeah. He's leading the team in win shares. He's leading them in productivity, minutes. Like he's carrying this team in the regular season so that way Russell can rest. And as soon as the playoffs hits, like a light switch flips and Russell like ramps it up to 40 something minutes a night. Um, and, and it's just a hundred percent Russell. And I, I was really struggling on how to parse this because it's just so much like they're saving Russell and even Havlicek. They're saving Russell and Havlicek for the, the playoffs. But during the regular season, Bailey's just cooking and they're just letting him, letting him do work. Uh, and, and it just, I finally came up with it. It's, it's Westbrook. It's what the Lakers <laughs> wanted Westbrook to be of like, Hey, just win us 45 games. And then LeBron and Davis will take over in the playoffs. And there's evidence that Howell could have, you know, he could take Detroit and uh, Baltimore to the playoffs beforehand. It's perfect. Sure. Can we try to get to like rank like 25 power forwards just to have it? Uh, sure. All right. All so right. We're at 19 with Kemp. Yeah. Um, did you have Aldridge at 20? I did. Good. I have Aldridge at 20 as well. All right. Perfect. Um, just to speak to that real quickly, Aldridge had a series. It's the first round series. We had back to back 40 point games to, to kick it off. Um, the him and Kawhi pairing was supposed to be just fantastic, and it was. They have like a 67-win season. Yeah, Kawhi gets hurt. Yeah. I mean, if Kawhi doesn't get hurt, there's a good chance that they have a championship. And we're talking about another number two guy on championship, and he's in that Pau Gasol, uh, Kevin McHale range. Yeah. It's close. The thing with, the thing with Aldridge is he's so good for so long, and the game was just was perfect and even towards the end he's able to kind of maneuver to a more modern style that extended his career for a little bit longer from age 22 to age 34 940 straight starts not in, uh, perfectly in a row but every game he plays he's starting he's 20 points eight and a half boards he's two assists 49 percent shooting it's just the offensive load is there but again it comes down to like he's he's one of the he's a low-end one you're gonna win. He's your best player. Even if things go perfectly, you could like Braden Roy and uh, Andre Miller and whoever the hell else played with him. Um, you're kind of like maybe your ceiling is like 46. Yeah. All right. So he's 20. Um, I had Howell Bailey or Bailey Howell as my 21. Okay. Sounds good. We just talked all about him. Just talked all about him. 23. Kevin Love. Same. Lockstep. Sounds perfect. Actually, sorry, we're missing a number. Uh, Lamarcus was 20. Bailey was 21. So I was moving around. 22, Kevin Love. I, I think for listeners, if you stuck around this long, because uh, this will be a legit two hours. <laughs> love is higher than Draymond Green, in part because we saw Love lead a, a low-grade team. 
Mm-hmm. He's the low end number one. Low end number one. And a high level two. He adjusts really well to being the defensive player. This is what we're saying is that players can make this adjustment. Like the elite, the good high end or the high end players that could be number ones. If you downgrade them and they get to be number threes, they can make that adjustment. And he became a defensive player. He's leading the league in charges drawn last season. Like Love adjusted really well to, mm-hmm. to being the third guy. Um, and it's not saying Draymond can't pass him, but their, their careers don't also perfectly overlap. It's not like Love's peak was that 17-18. Love had some really good years well before Draymond gets into the league. So Yeah. Kevin Love 22? Yep. All right. Do you want to go Draymond 23? I have Draymond 23. Okay. How about... How about... This, <laughs> this is actually really easy to agree yeah. on right now. How about... I'm kind of surprised. 24, Maurice Lucas. Oh. Oh. Over Vern Mickelson? Uh, wait. The Great Dane? I don't know why he's not on here. You dare respect Big Vern? <laughs> I must have... No, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I, I think I got rid of him when I was going to move him. I just never put him back down. <laughs> okay, Draymond at 23. I'm, I'm okay with Vern at 24. Vern is of the same breed as Draymond Green. Uh, he helps the Minneapolis Lakers to four championships as just a bruising defensive big man. Uh, big Vern... The Great Dane. The Great Dane. What an awesome name. Yeah. Oh, man. Nicknames were so much better back in the so 50s. Better. Just go on basketball reference. Just start opening up random players and like yeah. you'll get great It'd be nicknames. like the Bayou Bomber and the... Cool, the Blind Bomber. Yeah, cool shit like that. Dude. This guy played with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> they leaned into like war. Yeah. I forget who it was. One of the guys flew the fighter jets that accompanied the atom bomb. Over Hiroshima. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> like the the NBA was birthed out of World War II soldiers, yeah. and like that was Red Arbach's like claim to why he could coach because he was a high school coach um, that convinced a professional team owner to hire him because he's like, listen, I just got out of the army. You want the best players? I will deliver you the best players because that's <laughs> yeah, that's like who I got in my rolodex. Brad Mickelson, the Great Dane. How okay? Twenty five, Maurice Luke. Yes. All right. Sure. Perfect. And the other three I wished were Dave DeBusher, Tom Jonovich, and Tom Chambers, which I just don't even think are worth talking about. I'll delete. Oh, man. Can can I have like two seconds on Rudy T? Yeah, go ahead. Dude, Rudy T, we talked a little bit in the last pod about the evolution of the power forward position, how it originally kind of got its name, because it used to just be like the two forward spots, and you'd have like a right forward and a left forward, um, similar to hockey. It's important to know that like the NBA came from hockey owners, and, and like that's, they were kind of interchangeable. It's why you see a lot of the best early forwards being small forwards or occasionally people would try like the two center lineups. There wasn't like a designated power forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the the sixties and seventies, um, I forget what, when exactly power forward became a thing for the fighting and how often fights would break out. Because once again, this came from hockey ownership Keep, yeah. and it, it was wild because you'd have your power forward might not even be tall. Uh, like the Rockets employed, a guy to be a power forward that was like a small guy, but he was like a professional boxer. And he was just there for in case a fight broke out, he could protect their star and like just beat on people. Um, But Rudy T was, did have like a pathway to being a really great player. was kind of on the ascension. He'd had multiple all-stars. And then he ran up to try to break up a fight and get swung on by Kermit Washington Mm -hmm. and just taken out like spot, like brain fluid leaking into his mouth. Um, 
Like they, they thought he might die. And the fact that he came back to basketball is just a really cool story. Uh, there's a book about it called The Punch. I have it on my bookshelf right over there. I highly recommend people check it out. It's a hell of a story. A rocket his whole career as well. Then he went and coached him. Yeah, it's a great, great story. Um, but you, you had said Mo Lucas, and I wholeheartedly agree with him at 25. Can you talk talk about why? I think his role, like we said, the like right post merger. That's a tough era, mm-hmm. and he's there, and he's there in 77, 78, 79 for Portland. 19 points, 10 boards, reassess. In the 77 finals, let me find this. He leads the team in points, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know. Let me check on something. He, the 77 finals, never. the, the rest of the Blazers never get enough credit. They do Because like, you, you just hear he about Bill Walton. But, he leads the team. Yeah. He leads that team in playoff points. He's... It's Maurice Lucas. You know, also, fun story, I got a comment yesterday. I've, I have gotten a comment from the granddaughter of John Havlicek, the granddaughter Ooh. of Artis Gilmore, and now the grandson of Mo Lucas. Dude, shout out to these grandsons and daughters. Uh, I, I have to send you a picture of um. I think I still have it. I better have it. John Havlicek's um, granddaughter looks exactly like her. You're yeah. going to be like, oh my god, that is John Havlicek like, with a wig on. <laughs> I'm not great. even joking, and it looks just <laughs> like, Any you know, it was, the very, it was the very first comment I ever got like that, and I was like, Really, like you're John Havlicek's daughter. And I clicked on. It, I was like, "Holy shit, it's John Havlicek's uh, sorry, not daughter, um, granddaughter." Yeah, um, that's so cool. Yeah, very cool stuff. So shout out Maurice Lucas. That that is something that's never brought up. Is that the entire even Lionel Holland's um, is they're they, it's just a really good. The, Bla- the Blazers are really good that year, and it's not just Walton carrying them. He's the best player on that team. But there's there's a reason why they're just why they're so good, especially the the next season after that. I don't even know what their record was when Walton goes down. Uh, let me find it. Well, while you're looking that up, one of the underrated storylines of that, because there is some white and black um, with it being Walton versus Irving, there's also some, the Blazers play team ball. Everyone's involved. Look at their star. He's passing. But part of playing team ball is you need a really good team. Like, yeah. no one's like, ah, the 4 Pistons, man, Billups was fucking insane. They also play team ball. It's no, the all four Pistons were this great team with Billups, with Rip, with Wallace, and both Wallaces and Tayshon. Um, and for whatever reason, the 77 Blazers always get boiled down to just Bill Walton. It's so much more than that. It really is. And going back to that, there's a point in the season before Walton gets hurt in 78, and Walton still wins MVP. The Blazers are 50 and 10. They finish 58 and 24. So they basically just they limp to the, to the to the end with Adam. Um, and obviously your best player going down really hurts you and you're going to be worse without that. That's why Lucas is the 25th best power forward ever. Um, that team is a machine and they would have, they would have mopped the floor with the wizards. I don't know what, I think I'd rather have that because one, Washington would never have a title and that'd be pretty funny. But two, you get the complete arc, the two titles for Walton, the one MVP. Now he has some more foundation instead of, because we're going to talk about this next time we meet up about where we're going to put Bill Walton and the and the 200 games of elite play that he had because it really is just that it's it's about it's about 200 games and the rest of it he's super hurt honestly i didn't think he was even gonna get to 200 like you say 200 i'm like does he does he have 200 elite games i thought he had like 100 elite games i don't know um well while you're pulling that up i I just also i wanted to comment on why neither of us has dennis rodman because we've spoken a lot about Mm. dennis um off air 
He was in my top 75 when I started, but I think my my criteria has changed a lot. And I think I, I just, I liked players a lot that were, you know, Worthy made it and Mikhail made it. And being a part of something great really mattered to me when I made that list originally. Um, but yeah, kind of come away from it. I still think I, I like being a part of something great more than maybe you do. But at this point, I don't know if that's true because we tend to say the same players in the same spots for all for most of these. Well, one of the things I like to look at is how much of a part of something great. Because yeah. it's it's nice to look at him and say, Des Rodman is a multi-time defensive player of the year, and he is on a five championship teams. Well, how many of those overlap? How many times is he defensive player of the year when he wins a championship? Oh, that that only happens one time? Oh, that's it's it's one time that yeah. that is all all the overlap. Um, you start looking at his other series. Um, and even the one time where it happens is the nineteen ninety season. In the finals, they play him just nineteen point eight minutes per game. Yeah, that like his Pistons finals, he's playing less than half the game because he's not really that helpful yet. I mean, he's a really good defensive wing, but his offensive limitations. So like, okay. We probably shouldn't count that as really a great part of his legacy. It's the, those two rings don't really count a ton. The '98 finals with Chicago and '97, where he's going up against Carl Malone. Um, Malone has fantastic series. He does nothing to limit Malone, and he's averaging 27 and 30 minutes per game. Like he, he's falling down the rotation. Now, if you want to say the '96 one, yes, he is closer to Scotty and Michael than he is to the fourth best player. Mm-hmm. That that's probably a fair assessment, but he's still the third best guy. And so now we're talking one playoff as a third guy, one playoff or two playoffs as like guys four through four or five, and then two as like guys six through se- six or seven. Like that yeah. that doesn't scream top one hundred. Um, even though he's a part of these. And then if we look at probably the peak of his career is actually those couple of San Antonio years, maybe. Last he couple, fucking sabotages the team. He gives up. <laughs> he sabotages the team. They're they're getting smoked by Houston, and, it, and like Robinson can't get anything going. And their answer is cool. We need to bench Dennis Rodman because his offense is so limited that there's nothing we can do. Um, so let's let's get him out of here. That's that's just why why he's not really yeah. in this conversation for us. You look at the 97-98. Now, to be fair, being the third best guy on the greatest team ever is worth something. And I think if once we eventually we come back to this and we extend this to 150 to 200 players, he's going to be there. <laughs> he's going to be in that range. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's totally reasonable. And so there is absolutely value to it. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge is a great example. You take the high, the low end one, gets you 46 wins, 40 wins as your best guy. Make him your number two on a pretty great team behind Kawhi Leonard. Wins. 67 wins. And you make, it's the same thing, put Draymond, make him your number three, 67 wins. And that's that's kind of the gap there. Even Draymond may make him your four, and you're the best, the second best team of all time. Make Dennis Rodman your three, and you're the best team ever. Um, so there's still a value in it, but yeah, um, 97, 98, he's in the playoffs, 40 games, 23 starts, 31 minutes a game, four and a half points, 10 boards. Are the rebounds valuable? Absolutely. Is the defense valuable? Yes. Does it really even affect Carl Malone? Not really. Just no. kind of does the same thing he always does. <laughs> no. Also, to, to your point just a second ago. Spurs with 67 wins 
if you drop a Kevin Durant on that team, one of the they were one of the Hampton teams. We're now talking about Lamarcus Aldridge, three time champion. Mm-hmm. Lamarcus didn't get better. Like, it's the like same this guy. is the same Lamarcus. <laughs> But now he's got three rings. This is a good list. This might be the most solid one we've made. Oh, the point guards one was pretty great too. I think we did a really solid, a really good job on the power forward. Yeah. To recap, Carl Malone. And to recap again, Duncan considered him a center. So Carl Malone, Dirk, Giannis, Garnett, Bob Pettit, Charles Barkley, Dolph Shays, Elvin Hayes, Anthony Davis, Chris Webber, George McGinnis, Pau Gasol, Kevin McHale, Amari Stoudemire, Blake Griffin, Jerry Lucas, Tommy Heinsohn. Chris Bosh, Sean Kemp, LaMarcus Aldridge, Bailey Howell, Kevin Love, Draymond Green, Vernon Mickelson, and Maurice Lucas. What a fucking list. Good stuff, man. <laughs> it's good. It's gonna get even longer. Because I have I have I'm not even joking, I have twenty-eight, like twenty-eight centers. And I like all of them for, for top hundred. Like I think they should probably be on it. <laughs> I might go get more. I might show up at thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs>